0: So right now we're going to enjoy that uh, short clip about Stockham, and then Luke is going to come up and change your life with a message today. So roll that clip.
1: Well, I decided to take the School of Kingdom Ministry when I heard the words Kingdom Ministry, and I wanted to know more about that.
2: My brother and sister-in-law were going to take it, and they were really excited about it and were telling me about it, and I... Just took some time to be alone with God and was just praying. And he basically just told me, Jenna, your heart is ready for this. And that was it. That's how I
3: took it. During worship one Sunday, um, God just spoke to me and said, I have this for you. Um, And I started to cry. And I turned to my husband and said, I want to do the School of Kingdom Ministry. And he just said, okay. (laughs) I think my favorite part of Sockham was being with so
2: many different people and so many different ages, to have that kind of diversity was really, really cool to see how God works and, and through all people.
1: My favorite part of Sockham was the teachings that we did in the ministry time. It was just a, really just a combination of both those together just, just blended so well together.
4: My favorite part of Sockham, for sure, was the teachings. Putty is a phenomenal Public speaker. He has got tons of revelation on things of the kingdom, on scripture, and he really helped me take all this stuff that I knew was true and build a solid biblical and theological basis for it. The
1: relationships, the teaching, the activations, just about all aspects of the school were were really. Just great.
3: I really learned this past year um, how to listen to God's voice and how God really speaks to me. Um, God can speak in a number of different ways, and He speaks to me in different ways. And it was just really cool to learn about those different ways and become more in tune with that still, small, quiet voice um, deep down inside and learn how to pay attention to that.
1: I learned a lot about myself and my relationship with God and His overall goodness towards me. It was just very freeing, very powerful stuff.
2: I think one of the major things was just who I am as a daughter and who I am as an heir to the throne and like what I have and what I can do with what I have. It taught me that I have the authority and the ability to do certain things that I never knew I did before.
4: The School of Kingdom Ministry completely blew away all my expectations that I had had going in. Every time I came in here, I almost always left feeling more recharged and refreshed than I did coming in. And there was never one time that I actually attended a Sockham class and then left regretting having come.
1: I would say the most significant encounter I had with the Holy Spirit during the whole 29 weeks was in the area of prophecy. To both receive prophecy and see it fulfilled in my life and to give prophecy to others and see that come about too. That was very, very powerful.
3: And so it was really cool to give prophecy, but it was also really cool that I got to receive prophecy from all of my classmates every week, so I got to hear God's heart for me on a regular basis, and that was really encouraging and just
4: wonderful. One thing I was not expecting was how much of a community was formed at the School of Kingdom Ministry.
3: Um, It was a joy to come every week. I looked forward to it. There was a real sense of community with all the people, and for the tuition that you pay, you really um, get what you pay for. I mean, the teachings were revolutionary for me and really um, gave me a foundational theology on which to base my life. Sochem, uh impacted my life by giving me practice so that I can feel a little more confident that God really is uh, uh, working through me. Sockham has really impacted my life. I feel like I'm a different person from when I started the course. It's hard for me even to quantify. Um, How different I am and how much things have changed. Just more confident in the direction I'm going.
1: The way Soccer most impacted me was the fact that I ended up having a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ.
3: It grew me in reading the word
1: and praying, praying, helped me deepen that part of my life.
4: Hey, what's up everyone? Wasn't that awesome? But I have applause for Sanjay for making that video. So good. So good. Yeah, change your life is way too much pressure. I'm hoping to change your day or <laughs> your morning. Basically, if you leave here in a better attitude or the same level of attitude as you came in, that'll be a win for me. Really excited to be with all of you this morning and... I just love being here every weekend. This place is awesome. And it's not about the room or the chairs. Definitely not about the chairs. But (laughs) (laughs) it's just about the people here. You know, it really feels like family here at this church. And I've been to churches where it's kind of like you sneak in, sneak out. And that's not how it is here. In fact, people will probably be in this room Well over an hour after service starts. That's where we bring the lights down to kind of let them know, all right, time to get out. We're all hungry. (laughs) Anyway anyways. So I want to tell you all a story. This is the first time that I ever prayed for someone and saw them receive supernatural healing. And it wasn't the first time that I had seen healing because I grew up at the big vineyard in Tri-County and at that vineyard, I would attend these youth conferences and retreats where I would see crazy stuff happen. Like, I remember when I was in seventh grade, I was at this retreat called Fall Weekend, and this guy that was a couple years older than me had come on crutches with a knee brace having torn his ACL or something. And he on the last night, received prayer, and I saw him take his brace off, throw his crutches down, and start jumping up and down in the air. I'm just like, wow, wow. I guess Jesus does still heal today. And it was just kind of a normal part of my uh, understanding as to what God could and would do after I witnessed that. Um, But anyways, the story I am telling you happened many years later. And in between. That moment and this time, which was in 2012, when I was an intern at that same church after I'd already graduated high school, I had become jaded in between there towards the idea of healing. And I'll tell you why in a second. But anyways, I'm in the auditorium. I'm an intern at Vineyard Tri-County for students. And there's a group of high schoolers and middle schoolers in the auditorium with me. And remember, I've never prayed for anyone to be healed before. And so I had been commissioned by the high school pastor named Adam to lead this like prayer experience, um, Holy Spirit led kind of a thing with all the students. And so I went in really without a plan. I'm a huge planner, so that was stressful. But I went in without a plan. All right, God, you're going to lead this. Had a guitar with me and did a little bit of worship, did a little bit of prayer. And then I felt like God spoke to me and said, Luke, I want to do some physical healing. I was like, well, that's great, God. Do it, because I've never done it before. And it's like, no, I want you to lead the room through this. And like I said, I'd become jaded towards the idea of healing before that. Um, But about a month before that, I had, I'm sorry, I know I'm like jumping all around for the story, but the context is necessary. Month before that, I'd been in this room, and I'd seen Robbie Dawkins for the first time. And so... I uh, can remember listening to things he said and did, and part of me was like intellectually offended because it was stuff that I'd never heard before and never seen before, but he told some really crazy stories, and I saw some people who said they were healed from stuff in the room, and Wilson was also really pushing me like, no, dude, this is what God does. This is the character of God. You need to be stepping into this. And so here I am a month later, God speaking to me saying, hey, We're going to do physical healing. I'm like, okay, I don't know what that looks like, but let's do it. And so I stand up and I'm like, okay, everyone, I know we're about to end soon, but I really feel like God wants to do some physical healing right now. So who here has any like physical ailments? And this sixth grader walks up to me and looks at me named Daniel. And he starts to talk to me, but I can't understand what he's saying. In fact, it sounds something like this. I need prayer. I'm like, excuse me? It's like, I need prayer. I'm like, do you have like a ton of gum in your mouth right now or something? It's like, no, I need prayer. My tongue is swollen. He said, My tongue is swollen. (laughs) I remember like, God, I was hoping for lower back pain. (laughs) Like, maybe on a scale of one to ten, about a three. (sighs) This is like and so I'm like, all right. Let's pray. And, uh, so we all lay hands on Daniel and I have no faith. I'm like, okay, we'll get through this. And I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to tell him when he's not healed? I'll probably just tell him like, dude, you know, God loves you. Maybe you'll wake up tomorrow and you'll be healed, you know? And so we pray for him and I pray the most half-hearted prayer ever. I'm like tongue swelling, go down in the name of Jesus, be healed. Um, probably said it less eloquently than that, but I had learned at this point that. We don't need to beg God for healing, but that we command the body to do what it should. And the Holy Spirit backs us up. So anyways, say that. And then chills go down my spine as he replies in a completely normal voice, it's gone. And I was like, what? So that was my first experience. And kind of from then on, I still had skepticism. I still had cynicism that I had to work through. But I, God reconfirmed to me in that moment, this is what I do. This is who, part of who I am. I still heal today. And I have a question for all of you. How many of you have ever seen someone supernaturally healed through prayer? Raise your hand. Okay, a lot of people. Another question. How many of you have seen someone or been yourself, or yourself received prayer and not experienced the healing that you wanted? Okay, so about just as many hands. I have experienced that too. And in fact, this is, this is pretty personal to me because this had to do with one of my family members, my mom. About a decade ago, or maybe a little longer, my mother came down with this illness that it had like mono-like symptoms. And we didn't really know what it was, but maybe it's mono or something. But then it lasted way longer than mono is supposed to last. And kept going to doctors. They didn't know what to call it. Um, They called it chronic fatigue syndrome because they just didn't really know what it was. And I remember, you know, her receiving prayer after prayer after prayer and the healing isn't coming and going to uh, these healing conferences that are sponsored by churches that are known for extraordinary miracles and healings like uh, Bethel out in California. And... Healing is not happening, and she's reading these healing books and really just pressing into it, and it's not happening. And this is like a little after middle school and into high school. And I remember just thinking, like, God, if anyone deserves to be healed right now, it's my mom. Why are you not doing this? Why is this not happening? And I experienced that jadedness that I was telling you about. And so I think that a question that we need to address is when, what is the different, what was the difference maker between the tongue swelling that went down and whenever we pray for someone and they're not healed? Like what is different about that, those two interactions that results in different things? And really the heart of this message isn't actually about physical healing, It's going to be the example that I use this whole time, but really the heart of this message is about the heart and nature of God. That what is his heart really like? Is his goodness, is what is his goodness really like? And I'm going to use physical healing as kind of an illustration of that, but what's the difference is a question we need to ask. And there are two, I want to go through two common explanations that I hear about this. Um, two things that I've two bi- There's many more than these two, but these are kind of the two big ones. Um, and before I go into those, I want to say one more thing. If you are somebody who has dealt with chronic illness or disease or injury, and you've received prayer over and over and over again, and you've seen no change, I f- kind of know, I don't fully know. I kind of know how difficult and hard that must be especially when you're maybe attending a church where people are constantly sharing these amazing healing testimonies. And part of you is like celebrating and rejoicing. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, Lord. But then the other part of you is like, well, God, what about me? Like, where's my healing? And it can be tough. And especially when our teachings are oftentimes talking about how it's God's heart to heal and talking about healing. It's like, okay, I'm hearing you say these things, but this is not my experience. And I know it can be rough. And so I wanna delve into these explanations with you in mind and really just talk about what is exactly going on here and what do we need to believe and what of our experiences should shape how we view God and what of our experiences shouldn't shape how we view God. So first common explanation that you hear when someone isn't healed is that it wasn't God's will for you to be healed, mainly because he has a reason for you to stay in the sickness or injury. You know, something that Van mentioned in the first message of this series was that oftentimes in this wild world, remember the series is called Life in the Wild, oftentimes in this wild world where there's brokenness and pain, whenever we observe that, we try to come up with a reason for why God would allow that to happen in order to kind of get him off the hook, you know? So it's kind of like, oh yeah, a loving person wouldn't just want someone to have cancer or a loving person, a loving God wouldn't just want someone to to stay sick, but there's a reason for it. He's going to use that to lead a bunch of people to Christ or he's going to use that to teach you a lesson that you couldn't learn otherwise or he's going to use that for whatever. You know, it's this, this idea that when bad stuff happens, we, there has to be a reason. And that reason is what gets God off the hook. You know, like for example, um, I know that it sucks that the Reds have lost eight games in a row, but, but God's just going to use that when they come out of it to lead all the other teams to Christ. And it's going to be great. Let it be Lord, (laughs) you know? Or another more serious example, I was talking to a friend the other day and he was telling me about how his nephew had recently passed away and his nephew was young and of course his family was broken up about it. And then I was, I was telling him, oh, I'm so sorry, dude, that that sucks. And he's like, oh, well, it's actually okay because um, before it happened, my family was really in conflict with each other. Like all my extended family did not get along. And so when this happened, we all came together and we prayed for my nephew to come back to life. He didn't. Um, But I see why God did it. I see why God allowed it to happen because um, it really, he really used it to bring my family together. And so I see there's a reason there. And I don't know about some of you, but that strikes a weird chord in my heart. And it's not just about how it sounds, but what I know about the goodness of God doesn't quite align with that way of thinking. You know, um, if we were to put the, if we were to think about a earthly set of parents and think about, you know, how would you react if you heard a story on the news about parents who had four kids and the four kids weren't getting along. And so they murdered one of them. So the other three would get along better, you know, like we would say they need to be in jail for the rest of their lives yet we ascribe this kind of behavior to god you know it's uh or even um oh even some might say well god doesn't cause the horrible things to happen he didn't, he didn't he didn't allow your nephew or he didn't cause your nephew to die but he allowed it to happen and he withheld the resurrection and he withheld the healing to teach that lesson that doesn't make it much better right if parents were observing their child dying and didn't, and they could have saved him, but they didn't doesn't really make it much better. And so this whole, this explanation that you hear all the time that God it's, it's not God's will for you to be healed because he's got a greater reason or a greater purpose for you to stay in your sickness. It's not something I'm convinced of. And I think when we get into the scriptures and look at what, they have to say about the will of God, I think you'll agree with me. So with that said, let's turn to Matthew 6 and look at um, something Jesus said. Right now, what I want to try to do is, how should we define the will of God? That's what we're talking about here. Well, you know, it, Was it God's will for you to be healed or not? And um, what the will of God simply means is what God wants. And so Jesus here, he's talking to his disciples. And this is, I think, the clearest picture uh, in the New Testament of what God's will on a broad sense is. And of course, there are many passages that talk about God's will. But I think this one is the clearest. So this is Jesus. He's teaching his disciples how to pray. All of you probably know this by heart. It's a very famous passage, the Lord's Prayer. And let's take a look at verses 9 and 10. Verse 9. Again, this is Jesus speaking. Pray then in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Okay. That second verse there is key. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those first two phrases, your kingdom come, and then your will be done, those two actually mean the same thing. Where God's kingdom, his rule and reign, where God's kingdom is, his will is being done. And where God's will is being done, there his kingdom is. If God's will is not being done, he is not ruling and reigning over whatever that is. He is not king there. And so your kingdom come, what does that look like? It looks like your will be done. And then this next phrase is the most critical part. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That God's will is that earth would be as heaven is. So what does that mean? Well, that means that the things that are happening in heaven... The things that exist in heaven, love, peace, health, no pain, no death, all this stuff. That those things, perfect honesty, relationships are perfectly in harmony. That those things that are happening in heaven, it is God's will that those be happening here on earth. And then on the flip side, the things that aren't happening in heaven, hatred, bitterness, anger, depression, go down the line that those things would cease to happen here on earth your will be done on earth as it is being done in heaven and so a question is is there any sickness or disease in heaven you know i <laughs> we have so many awesome evangelists at this church and i bet you they're probably a little bummed out that there's not going to be people on crutches up in heaven for <laughs> <to> them <laughs> For them to walk up to, like, hey, excuse me. Hey, can I pray for you? Um, okay, yeah. But there's no sickness, there's no injury in heaven. And if God's will is that what's happening there be happening here, it's not God's will that sickness and injury happen down here. And so I think that what that means for us is two things. First, There are events that occur on this planet that are not God's will. The things happen here that God does not want to happen. That when, um, you know, someone gets, when there's a death in a family, that God is, it wasn't necessarily God's will that that would happen because death is not happening in heaven. Second thing I think it means, which is tougher to swallow, but I'm really convinced is true, is that there are things that God desires to happen here that do not happen. That God does not always get what he wants here on this planet. Yeah, that is really tough to believe. So it sounds almost like heresy. But let me show you a, another verse that I think really illustrates that point that God does not always get what God wants on this planet. Turn to 1 Timothy 2, if you wouldn't mind. This is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to one of his disciples named Timothy, who's pastoring a church in Ephesus. Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, this is what Paul says. This is good... And acceptable in the sight of God, our savior, who desires everyone, who desires that everyone would be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I think I had a different translation up there, but same, same content that God desires everyone be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay. So as we're considering this, does God get what he wants thing? If that is true, then we're really left with two options. One, either everyone is saved and that hell isn't actually real and that no matter what you do in this life, you are going to be with God in heaven afterwards. Or two, that God doesn't always get what he wants and that even though he desires everyone be saved, some are not based on other factors besides his will. Do y'all see that? And so if we apply that to the idea of physical healing, what we learn is that God may always want the healing to happen, but because of other factors that we don't know about, it might not happen. And so where that can lead us is that God is not holding out healing from anyone. And I think that, I used to believe he was because of the picture that I had of God that had been formed through my experiences, and so sometimes what we have to do is allow our picture of God to be changed so that we can stop believing stuff that isn't actually true. And um, let me let's let's look at a passage out of Matthew eleven that really, I think, illustrates what our picture of God should be. So turn to Matthew 11. We're going to read verses, verse 27. <clears throat> Matthew 11, verse 27. This is Jesus speaking here. This is what he says. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Nobody knows God the Father except the Son, and it is the Son, Jesus, who reveals what the Father is like. Another way it's said in John 1, we don't have it up there, but um, the author of John is saying that no one has ever seen God And the Greek word for there, for seen, means more so understood what he's like. No one has ever understood what God is like, but it is God, the only son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Meaning that no one's really known what God was like until Jesus, and then who Jesus was, completely revealed the heart and nature of God. Another way it said Jesus himself says if you have seen me you have seen the father meaning what I am like who I am that is what he is like there's not a difference here what I do he does what he thinks I think we're the same if you still don't believe me let's look at one more passage that I think drives us home I can't this is one of the go to Hebrews 1 This is one of those passages where I'm like, how could I have read this for so? I mean, I even had a verse from this memorized before I understood it. How could I have read this and not gotten it? But I didn't. Hebrews 1, reading verses one through three. Verse one, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Let's stop there. That, so what the authors of Hebrews is saying here is that God spoke to humanity before Jesus through the prophets and through the law, but it wasn't until Jesus came who God it wasn't until Jesus came that God was able to reveal to humanity the exact representation of his nature. That people didn't really know exactly what God was like until Jesus. You know, notice that verse doesn't say that the old Testament is the exact representation of God's nature. It doesn't say that, Oh, a series of, Statements that we know to be true about God, the logical progression of those statements and the conclusions we get from that is the exact representation of the nature of God. It says that Jesus is the exact representation of the nature of God. That if we know Jesus, we know God. We don't gotta be worried that there's some secret part of God that wasn't revealed by Jesus. So getting back to the issue of physical healing, If we want to determine whether God would allow someone to stay in sickness for a reason, it would probably be beneficial to look at all the times that Jesus did that in the Gospels to figure it out. So by chance, does anyone know how many times he did that? Who thinks it was more than five? Who thinks it was less than five? Man, you guys are so bad at raising your hands. All right, real quick. Raise your hand if you know how to raise your hand. Thank you. Hands down. Raise your hand if you hate raising your hand in church. Both hands up for me, too. I hate it also. (laughs) Not, yeah. Okay. Jesus never withheld healing from anyone. There's not one time in the Gospels where he says to someone, hey, I see your leprosy. I see that you're paralyzed. I see your disease. I see whatever it is, but you need to keep that so that you can learn a greater lesson. Or you're going to stay in that to be a testimony to, you're going to see 20 other people start following me 10 years from now. And so you're going to stay in that for that reason. He never did that one time. So my question is, why do some of us... I've been there before, believe that God withholds healing for that reason. If Jesus is the exact representation of the nature of God, and Jesus never, ever did that, why do we think God does it? And I think where it comes from is that we have, the, we ha- we have these understandings of, these, of the, um, nat- the qualities, the characteristics of God. And we take like two characteristics and then from those, there's a logical progression into a conclusion. And then we use that to give us our picture of God. Give you an example. God is sovereign. So God is all powerful. He can do whatever he wants. God is good. We know that. So God will always do what is good for us. Therefore, if he doesn't heal us, even though he could have, that means that the sickness must be good for us somehow. And I'm not saying that that logically doesn't follow. What I'm saying is, why are we letting this syllogism, this logical deduction, define who God is to us more than Jesus? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Okay. So this still leaves unanswered questions. And I understand that I can't answer all these questions. And even if I had another five hours to talk to you, I couldn't even get through half of them. But here's what I do know that when healing doesn't happen, it's not because God is willing you to stay in that illness for some greater good. God hates sickness. God hates disease. He hates injury and he, desires it to be gone, just like he desires all of us to be saved and be in a relationship with him. Second thing, second common explanation. Don't have a ton of time to go through this one, but this is kind of like on the opposite side of the pendulum. And some people will say, Oh, well God wants to heal you, but you didn't have enough faith. So that's why you didn't get healed. And the blame gets put on the person receiving prayer. You know, you need to find the unforgiveness in your life. You need to find the sin that you're not confessing, and it's you, know, you didn't have enough faith. You didn't have enough belief that it was going to happen. Really, is what I want to focus in on. And I'll just say one thing about that: How much faith do you think the people that Jesus raised from the dead had? <laughs> you know, they were dead. They didn't have any faith. Also, if you want to read another example of that, I encourage you to look at Mark 9, verses 17 through 27. Another story of a guy that Jesus performs deliverance on, even though he didn't have much faith. And by the way, faith is not mental certainty. Faith is not, oh, I have zero doubt that this is going to happen, so then God's going to honor that. Faith is trusting in Jesus. You know, it's going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I don't totally understand this. I don't even know if I believe all of this, but I trust you what I know about who you are and your goodness. That's faith. So why don't people get healed? Why does it not happen? If it's not that God is withholding, if it's not that we don't have enough faith, what is it? Well, I don't think there is an easy answer to this, but here's what I will say that for the longest time, when I thought about this issue, I would only think of two relevant factors. So you have God, and then you have the illness and he either heals it or he doesn't. That's it. That, that clear, that easy. But what we're not considering is that in this world, not only does God have a say so, or does he have permission to, yeah, to have influence, but Demons and angels have a say-so. And there are, what about strongholds in our minds and prophetic words? What about faith in the good sense? Because faith does play a role. Jesus oftentimes said, your faith has made you well. It's the trusting kind of faith though, not the mental certainty. What about all those factors? There's probably also just as many of those that I can't think of right now off the top of my head. And then there's probably 20 more of those that we can't even understand that we'll never get to that all go into this situation as to why healing doesn't happen. And so I think where we need to rest is we don't necessarily always have to have an answer and have a reason for everything. It's not because God is trying to teach us something. It's not because he's not all powerful. We don't know why, but Lord, we trust you And we trust who you've revealed yourself to be through Jesus. And so I just want to end with five takeaways for all of us. Five things that we can take away from this. First one is that we don't have to wonder whether God wants to heal someone while we're praying for them. When we're praying for someone, we don't have to wonder whether it's his will or not. You know, I don't have to like, someone asked me for prayer. Okay, one second. I need to pray. Ask God. Lord. Is it your will for this person to be healed? Um, Okay, not hearing anything. I'm getting my Bible out. All right, I'm going to flip it to an open random page. If I find yes first in here, that means yes. If I find no here first, it means no. Yes, okay, we can pray now. It's not like that. Um, Second thing, second takeaway. We don't have to wonder if the evil happening to us is of God. We don't have to wonder whether you know, the disease, the sickness, the death, we don't have to wonder whether God did it or not. And really what's behind this is that for the longest time, people, theologians have said that God is all powerful and God is perfectly good. His being all powerful is really simple. That means he can do whatever he wants, but it's his goodness that is really complicated. Like his goodness can look like self-sacrificing love on a cross, but it can also look like disease, that, that can be good. And I'm not saying that God doesn't use that stuff, doesn't redeem it, but he doesn't cause it and he doesn't allow it. So we, all, we boil it down to his uh, sovereignty, his being all powerful is simple, his goodness is complicated. I'm thinking we've got this backwards. I'm thinking it's his goodness that's simple, Jesus, and it's his being all powerful that's complicated that we can't totally understand. Third thing, fourth thing, third thing. We don't need to blame ourselves for our not being healed. So if you have a chronic illness and you've been prayed for a hundred times and never been healed, it is not your fault. It's not that you deserve where you are. It's not that God, you know, one I hear all the time is, why would God heal me when there's so many other bad things going on in the world? No, God cares about you just as much as anything else in the world. It's not, yeah, we don't need to blame ourselves. Fourth thing, we don't need to accept our illness. So we don't need to, you know, if you've gotten prayer 10 times to be healed for something and you haven't been healed, you might be tempted to be like, okay, well, I just need to accept this. This is just going to stay with me. Um, No, we don't need to accept illnesses. Get prayer over and over and over and over again until the healing happens. And maybe, you know, we, again, we can't understand everything. Who knows what is going to happen, but we don't need to internalize and accept the illness. That is the way that it can actually cause us the most damage. Last thing, this is huge. We don't have to give a reason to someone when they aren't healed or find a reason for ourselves when we aren't healed. I see this all the time. You know, someone's praying for someone, they're not healed. Oh, okay, well, uh, you know, here's what God might be doing, or this might be why. Just be like, oh, I'm sorry you're not healed. Let's keep praying tomorrow and the next day. And the next day I'll be praying for you tomorrow morning. I'll keep you in my prayers. God loves you so much. And just leave it at that. There doesn't need to always be a reason for everything. So again, what I want to say is that I know that if you're struggling with a chronic illness, this is not, some, this is not a topic that's easy to hear about. And what I hope this does is give you the peace that it's not your fault where you are and that you can trust that God's goodness really does look like Jesus. It doesn't look like an illness. It doesn't look like an injury. It doesn't look like death. That God's goodness really looks like Jesus. So let's have that be our one takeaway if we had one. That we don't let anything form our picture of God, but what we see in the person of Jesus dying on the cross in self-sacrificial love for us. That all in all, that's what God looks like to us. Would you stand with me? We're going to read our declaration and really read this with meaning because it has a lot of power. This declaration is the initiation of a new way of thinking of a new order like the declaration of independence, a new uh, initiation of a new order. Here we go. Starting at we reject. We reject fear and intimidation. We will not be overwhelmed or overrun. We have authority to use God's power. We are on the offensive. We push back the kingdom of darkness. We live in eager expectation we long for the fullness of God's kingdom now, of God's kingdom to come. You can have a seat and let's pray. Father, we ask for more than anything else, Lord. We ask to know you more, to love you more, to allow ourselves to be loved by you more. I thank you, Jesus, that intimacy with you is always the point. And so we ask that you draw us into a closer relationship with you as we worship. In Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Wasn't that awesome? Let's just hear it for Luke. That was that was a great message, yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, at this time, the ushers can come on up to the front. Uh, we're going to continue worshiping. We've been, we've been worshiping through the hearing of the Word and Revelation. Uh, we're going to worship now through giving, uh, and then we're going to continue worshiping uh, through singing and, and praising Jesus. Um, so, Father, we just thank you um, for that great word from Luke. We thank you um, for the sacrifice um, that we can give now um, through our tithes and offerings. And we just bless it that you would multiply it and uh, bless the decisions of our, of our staff that are, that are using this money to further your kingdom. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys can go ahead. Um, and we really just want to dwell on this as an act of worship, even right now, as we're giving. Um, we we really just want to focus on why we're doing it, why why we're giving money um, to a God who has everything already. Why we're why we're giving something that we have to a God who created the universe by speaking, you know, and and it's really because He's worthy, and we want to honor Him. And so, even now, whether whether you have something physical or not to give, um, just focus your heart um, on on why we're doing this. Like, God, you are worthy. We love you. We honor you with these tithes and offerings, Jesus, and um, we just lift, lift this up as a sacrifice to you, Jesus, as we continue to worship you today. And we pray just blessing and abundance on everyone in this room, everyone listening to this. We just pray that you would bless them for the sacrifice that they are giving And we thank you so much for everything you're doing in Cincinnati through VCNW and how you're affecting the world through these sacrifices right here, right now. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. My times are in your hands.